Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, assumptive goal setting. Here we go. Now, surely we've spent some time talking about the importance of goals in the past, right? I mean, I mean, I mean <laughs> oh, I hope so. We've done this for, I don't know, we've done this for a while. They're big. But it's its really funny how many people don't want to have to set goals, yet they, they expect all sorts of publicly visible people and organizations and institutions to do just that, right? I and mean, we expect our governments to live within their means, which, of course, requires Goals and planning and things like that. Budgets, right, right. Right. And we expect our teams to win, which surely they would not do if they weren't setting goals of winning, right? Right. And we expect our companies to meet their budgets so we can get our raises and all the kind of, and get the budget we like every year and perform as they say they will. Right. All those things take goals. And how can we ask not to be held accountable for achieving goals while simultaneously expecting the institution we work in to have enough cash available to pay us when they say they will? You know, paying on time is a goal. Surely yeah. somebody in yeah, finance or right. cash management has a plan for, right? Right. Yeah. And yeah. Of course, the answer is we can't if we want to be a professional part of the organization. This is a bit like the conversation you and I have when, when the company that someone is working for wants to grow 5% and the manager puts together a budget about how they're going to grow 1% or 2% because they just can't get any more. And it's like, okay, so somebody else is going to do 10 just to make up for the fact that you're not an effective manager and can't figure out how to get to five. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or let's do 5% cuts and the manager does, well, I'll cut two because really I'm particularly important. No, let's, yeah. No, I think we shared that in the past. It's not a great strategy. If your boss asks you to cut five and you come back with two because your organization is just so important, Mm -hmm. that's probably, it's probably not true and it's not effective in terms of relationship with your boss. But, you know, when it comes down to us as individuals, a lot of folks say, man, it's harder than it seems. I mean, how can I set a goal that's bigger than what I'm already doing? When, frankly, getting to this year, to where I am right now, was really, really hard. How can I find more revenue when I, frankly, I just barely made it by the skin of my teeth this year? Yeah. I'm already to the bone, right? I I cut to the bone last year. How how can I cut more cost? Right. People just don't know how, right? And there's not a lot of practice. It it sort of follows Horseman's Christmas rule, right? It's important to us. At least it, it certainly affects our careers, the goals we set and whether we achieve them. It's important to us. And we do it rarely. And so if it's important and we do it rarely, we're not going to be terribly good at it. Yeah. And and we're not going to teach people how to um, how to handle Christmas, but we can certainly talk about some creative ways to set goals and plan. Right. Exactly. So this is part of uh, um, a couple of other casts that we're going to put out about the general goal setting processes. But but here's a simple a simple three step process about the goals themselves, about how to be willing to stretch a little bit more, to get a little bit more out of your team. So the first rule is when you're trying to set a goal for whatever, a reduction or an increase or whatever, don't start with where you are, believe it or not. It's a classic mistake that managers make when we're trying to be creative about the future. They say, okay, let's go over everything we did this year. Um, People generally remember what you did this year and it doesn't help you be creative about the future. Number two, and this, this will sound corny to people, but this is why we call it assumptive goal setting. Assume you are already at a new goal. You've already achieved it. The point here is, if you start with where you were, 
thinking about a 10 or 20% improvement is about creating the future and people are inherently uncomfortable with it. They think they have to be imaginative and creative and they don't think of themselves that way all the time. And because of that, it's very, very hard. They, they begin to defend the status quo over wherever they are now. But if you assume you're already at a new goal, you picture yourself already there and you look back at the past. In other words, the year that's already happened and that in real life is actually in the future. It becomes much easier to engage as different brain functions. It's much easier to see how could I get to a 20% improvement if I'm already there. And that's the third point. Once you picture yourself at that future goal, let's say a 20% revenue improvement, then you simply ask what had to happen to get here. In other words, not let's plan for the future. Gosh, the moment the future starts, we don't know what's going to happen. So how would we plan what's going to happen in the future when we don't have any control over it? That's different than saying, okay, we're already at 20%. Let's look back at the previous year. What would we have had to have done from a year ago to now in order to get 20%? And people are much more comfortable talking about possible strategies, plans, actions, operational changes, process changes, and so on when they are looking back at what they, quote, have already done, unquote. It sounds a little mental, maybe, for some folks, but this is how a lot of professionals do it. They assume they're already there and then plan in reverse, if you will, rather than planning about the future, which people are uncomfortable with. Right. Mental. Yeah, folks have called mm. it mental before. So. Mm. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, I've been called mental. Maybe that's not too far a stretch. Okay, don't start with where you are. Now, that seems... I don't know. It might seem a little bit difficult. I mean, how can you get to somewhere if you don't know where you are? How can you get to New York if you're in California and you don't you don't know you're in California? Well, most people already do know they're in the Cal in the California. I mean, you you might not when you're there, but generally I do because of the taxes. Um, of course, that's yeah, the taxes. Yeah, um, actually, I, for me, it's because of the golf. But look. When we talk to managers about this, what happens is they don't know what to do to plan the future. So they spend a good bit of time revisiting the previous year and making a case for it's almost like a, a year in review. Here's all the things we did. Here's how we got to where we are. Right. And it's simply because you want to be accurate about where you are. There's nothing wrong with that. But they're also essentially avoiding the planning, the creation, the imagination, the creativity, sorry to use the same root twice in different tenses, of thinking about the future. So what they do is they do what they know, which is let's go over the year because you're, because as you say, Mike, they've got to be able to be clear about where they are. The fact is it doesn't help people. It sets the wrong tone. It sets the wrong message that let's spend a lot of time agreeing on what's already happened in detail. Look, the fact is for many of us thinking about the future is hard, you know, we're in a constant battle day to day trying to assert ourselves and believing that, frankly, often when we come in with three things to do and we don't get any of them done by the end of the day, we're just being tossed around by external forces that even though we think we're more powerful to resist them, we have a long history of not being able to do so. Our boss intervenes. Well, you, you just said it, right? Your, your boss comes in and gives you, dumps something on your desk at the last minute you got to respond to. You have some, some crisis with a particular customer. You have these urgencies. You have diversions and unplanned ideas that come up from, you know, five levels up. You're just fighting fires day to day. Yeah. And, and yeah. you're so frustrated at the end of each day in terms of not being able to get to what you thought your priorities were, right? Or what your priorities really are. The idea of doing even more. Than you're doing today is just overwhelming. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that feeling of unempoweredness, I'm sure that's not a word, carries right over to planning for next year. We accept where we are. We know where we are and we see the stretch required of us for new goals for next year and often what's required for the team as well. And they see that as, we see it as stressful and as risky. Okay. But here's something interesting. We want to, want to put a thought in your head before we, um, we'll, we'll come back to it here in a few minutes. Consider this. Why do we accept this year's numbers and achievement as the standard and therefore essentially reasonable because we're there now? When probably the numbers we're dealing with now that we've achieved now looked or would have felt unattainable a year ago, right? I mean, that's essentially the crux of this question. Yeah, it is. We achieved more this year than we did last year in 90% of you know managerial and, and organizational cases. We achieved more than we did last year, even though we struggled a year ago to set goals. The boss said, you will. And maybe we, we softballed it and said 2%, but in fact, we got four or five and we would have never dreamed that we could have gotten to four or five. And yet somehow inexplicably we did. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I know, I know what the answer is. What? It's just the sense of lack of control, right? We, we look back and we know what we did, right? We feel right. Even though, right. We didn't, even though beginning of the year, we didn't, we didn't have that sense of control. Just looking back, hindsight being 2020 and all that, it, seems relatively easy. When you look at the future, you can't control the future. It just seems out of out of reach. And that lack of control, that that feeling there is it's not a comfortable one. Yeah. And so essentially what this boils down to, what this cast is about is we need a way around that out of control feeling, the connection between the future and being out of control. And of course, every once in a while, I, I hear someone repeat, I, I'm sorry, folks, I don't know who said it, but it's a fairly common phrase among executives. You know how you predict the future, don't you? You invent it. Yeah. You don't accept the idea that the future is unknown. You simply pick what future you want, and then you go get that future. And then you look back and say, it wasn't known, it was known, and I did it. Yeah. Um, and it's a question of control, right? Maybe control is the wrong word, Mike. Maybe it's just lack of certainty or lack of knowing as opposed to believing, right? But you're right. The thing is, this isn't just a management trick, Okay, this is a standard mental process. Psychologists and sociologists use this all the time. Even futurists use this. And and look, here's the thing. Here's what we're getting to, folks. Never start a future goals discussion with a detailed review of where you are and especially avoid, especially avoid a how we did it this year discussion, which takes a half an hour. Just because you know those things, this is where we are and this is how we did it. And because they're certain and you don't want to talk about the uncertain future, you don't know how to be creative, doesn't mean spending more time on where you already are is going to help. If you do this, if you if you say, uh, you know, this is how we did it and this is where we are and here's every number in detail, that sets the present situation you're in as the standard. It makes today seem normal, right? It's just acceptable, right? This is how we got here. But if you'll remember last year, where you are now would not have been normal. It would have required creativity. It makes it seem, it makes it seem where you are now, frankly, easy, right? And, and what happens there, you might say to yourself, well, why, why, why wouldn't I want it to think of now as being easy? Well, here's why. 
lots of people do this and take it for granted as, as sort of level setting. Let's all get on the same page for clarity inducing. This is what happened last year as open communication. And again, I've said, I've said it before. I'll say it again that it's about spending time on the things we know as opposed to having to deal with the things we don't know. And I've done it too, right? But we're not saying that you're not where you are. We're not saying that it's not good for people to know how they got there. We're not saying those things aren't true about a a review of the previous year. They're just not helpful to where you want to go in terms of picturing, creating, imagining, visioning next year's numbers and next year's plans. Yeah. Talk about it during the annual review or talk about it later. But when you're thinking about the future, when you're doing your goal planning for next year, now's not the effective time to talk about that stuff. It sets people's feet in concrete, the concrete of the present versus the more expansive view of the future you want to have. Right. Now, look, we know from experience, folks, if you're feeling a bit itchy, don't feel bad. We know from experience that when we recommend this manager tool, folks do get itchy. They just can't see how you can talk about all the stuff they have to do next year without, without at least reviewing this year in some fashion. Okay. Now, you don't have to. Really, you don't. Because people already know where you are. They do. (laughs) But we do understand. And so let's suggest a different way. Rather than saying to yourself, I've got to come up with some new numbers. Okay, let's make sure we agree where we are. And then you spend an hour on that. And you you essentially build a case for why today is normal. uh, when, When again, a year ago, it was not. And then suddenly now, you've had cemented in people's minds that Today is safe and the future is unknown and it makes people less creative, unfortunately. But having said that, we don't recommend complete amnesia about this year's numbers and where you are now. But the thing is, if you're going to be working on numbers and goals, put this year's numbers at the bottom of a char- of any chart you're going to do. Put the new targets at the top, okay, or at the center of attention as opposed to putting this year's numbers at the center of attention and then putting new numbers at the bottom of the page. For instance, I'm picturing a sort of a a grid of five or six key uh, metrics and this year's number at the top, big and bold and obvious with all kinds of notes around how you got there. And then at the bottom, next year's numbers with blank holes in in the little grid boxes, right? That's not the way to do it. That sends a message, okay, we're here. Rather than thinking, all right, let, let's get to the future and figure out how we got there. Right. If I'm going to collaborate with my team, how can I put next year's numbers at top? We haven't even agreed on them yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's really kind of a different question. It's it's part of the process and I'll, I'll answer it. And really what I'm talking about is just the idea here about thinking about the goals. But that said, there's a couple of ways you can handle that. Look, if you really want to be sensitive to your team's input, and and by the way, there are times when we recommend that and times when we don't, you can put last year's numbers at the bottom of a chart, right? And leave the top lines for next year's numbers blank, okay? Now, remember, you don't spend any time at all when you're collaborating with your team going over how you got to your numbers. That just, again, cements the present in people's minds, and they'll remember it pretty well, right? They, They will. 
Now, on the other hand, we'd still recommend highlighting the chart is about next year's numbers. You put next year's numbers, whatever they're going to be. In other words, you'll leave blank grid spaces for those numbers, but it will be the top line. Perhaps it'll be in a larger font. Perhaps it'll be bold. Perhaps it'll be different color. Perhaps it'll have a special wider border to go around it. And rather than starting with last year's numbers, or actually this year's numbers, you put those at the bottom in smaller font and plain type and say, okay, here are last year's numbers. Let's, let's now talk about where we're going to be next year. Now, that's one way to do it. Or look, folks, it's completely reasonable. And if when I say this, your response is, well, no, that's not reasonable. You're wrong. It's a different way of doing it. It happens a great deal. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It depends on the team, it depends on the situation. But what you can do is seed, as in planting a seed, the minds of your directs and put numbers in the grid for next year before you have your discussions. Okay. Now, I know some I'm of you are thinking, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Yeah, 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 you are. Gosh, yeah, you are with your background. But look, people say, aren't we collaborating? And yeah, sure we are. But there, folks, there's no inherent requirement that bosses gain consensus with their directs regarding goals they're going to set. Okay. And I want to spend a minute, it just popped into my head, but I want to spend a minute talking about the difference between collaboration and consensus and brainstorming and goal setting. Those are all different. We don't just smush them all together and then allow our directs to say, no, nah, I don't want that number, right? You can, in fact, pick a number. Now, you could you could also work individually with people to get them to commit to that number before you come to the to the session. Yeah, kind of a pre-wire type thing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But look, let, let, let's make it easy, right? I mean, I know... At least once, surely at least once, you've told the story of your experience when you were, when you had responsibility for OSIS at MCI, the the core system of the entire company. You know, none of your directs agreed with any of your goals, right? No, I mean, absolutely you, not. You came up with them <laughs> they completely thought I was crazy. In, independently. Yeah. A good team of people, right? Had been achieving okay, but but you felt like you needed completely different thinking. I mean, well, go ahead, tell the stories. Spend a minute telling the story. I think it's. I think it's worth it. Yeah, okay. So I took over the organization. It had a, a long history of doing well, but not great. It wasn't particularly loved by the rest of the organization, <laughs> chiefly marketing. So I went and talked to a bunch of customers, and and this is a longer story. I'm going to make this short because we can come back to this at some point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. they, um, you know, I heard, you know, I heard four things that people wanted. They're, they're all absolutely measurable. Um, and I won't go through all of them, but there are four of them. And I went back to my my team and I said, here are my goals. This is what I want to do this year. And I got a tremendous amount of pushback. I mean, people told me, literally told me I was crazy. And I had a great team. We had pretty, yeah. you know, pretty open communication. So they could say that to me, but I said, well, okay, I understand. So one example, one of the numbers without going into details of what it was, the number is like 657. And this particular number, the organization, and 657 was bad, okay? <laughs> okay, the, the idea was <laughs> lower, not higher. Uh -huh. And this, this number is 657 for the last five years, plus or minus 50, right? 657. And my goal was zero. And I stuck by it. Now, all the goals were something around that magnitude, something that people considered uh, impossible. And the fact is, at the end of a year, we got all of them, all of them except yeah. one, all except one. There are four kind of key goals. And the number 657 is the one we did not get. We did not get from 657 down to zero. We got down to seven. 
Yeah. Okay. And people yeah. just told you you were nuts. They told me you were nuts. And I failed in my goal, folks. And I'm a high C, so I want to be accurate. And there's some part of me <laughs> that, you know, hitting seven as opposed to zero was disappointing. But I tell you what, I still got, and the organization got, and my directs got, and their directs, directs got, and their directs, directs, directs got rewards yeah. for hitting seven, right? Yeah. It's okay. Oh, yeah. In fact, last night when I was thinking about this cast, it's morning as we're here recording and it's quiet in our houses. I immediately, I mean, every time I hear this story, I, I get goosebumps. I get excited about it because it reminds me to not simply do podcasts about things that people will be comfortable with, right? Yeah. It says there is a whole nother world out there that's a stretch, that's a growth, that's a goal beyond what you think. And people do it all the time. And they're not necessarily fabulously clever managers. They're real people who just say, no, I believe we can do more. I see, I see things in this team that other people don't. And I'm going to ask you to do more and greater. I, I'm always reminded of, of Peter the Great's quote, I, I will, you know, about Russia, I will drag you kicking and screaming into the modern world. Um, he, he was a dictator and probably a high D. <laughs> Last night, as I was reading over the cast, I was reminded of Leo Burnett, right? The great American advertising company. I often joke about this at conferences. You know, what do Tony the Tiger, um, the Frosted Flakes, Flakes mascot, Snap, Crackle, and Pop, the Rice Krispies mascots, and the Jolly Green Giant, um, uh, you know, a, an American food product uh, mascot, what do they all have in common? And, and by the way, this wasn't during a time when mascots and talking animated creatures were popular uh, in television advertising. But the answer is the guy who created them, Leo Burnett, who founded a, a advertising company called Leo Burnett. And, and Leo Burnett's logo is a picture of a hand reaching for stars because one of Leo Burnett's favorite sayings was reach for the stars. You may not get one, but you won't end up with a handful of mud either. Yeah. Right. And in fact, I was on the website last night looking. I wanted some black pencils that are famous. I had one a number of years ago and have lost it. They're distinctive. And Leo Burnett, the company, is famous for their black pencils. Um, if anybody knows anybody at Leo Burnett and wants to send me some pencils as a gift, I'd be happy to reimburse you. But yeah, it's that sense of there's more out there, right? You can completely change things. It's hard work. But rather than plotting and saying, okay, 3% more, you can have an out-of-body experience. And that's what this cast is about, is saying, I'm not going to settle from 650 to let's get to 550, and then next year it'll be 450. Because yeah. that doesn't appreciably change things, does well, it? Well, it doesn't change thinking about how you get there. I think, the, yeah. the for me, the lesson was, that look, go from 657 to zero causes folks to think about the problem completely differently. Exactly. Right? 657 to 600 would have seemed like they'll a pretty decent harder. goal, right? They, they, we'll you know, they had been 600 for five years, so 600 seems like a reasonable goal. But what they would have thought about was working harder, doing the things yeah. they do today better. And that's not yeah. what gets you those big goals. It's right. doing things completely differently or doing things, doing different things. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's what this cast is about, right? It's literally about standing on the zero, looking back at the 657 said, how the heck would we get here from there? And you say, well, we certainly have to do this, 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 and this. And then you say, okay, let's do those things. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, we can't get there unless we do this. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. <laughs> well, then that's what we're doing. Right. Well, that's going to be hard. Oh yeah. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be great when we get there. Oh yeah. Right. It's awesome. And look, I want to make a point. I want to go back to the, the point I made earlier about consensus and collaboration and brainstorming. Look, folks, you can brainstorm with your team about a goal you've already set. That's okay. 
you can come to consensus about the process you use to get to that goal. And if you're saying, oh, no, 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 Mark, I would feel uncomfortable doing that. Well, good. That's what I'm suggesting. You may need to get a little out of your comfort zone here in order to set a significant goal. Now, you don't, the goals don't always have to be significant. It may be you only think you can get to 5%, but but the process we're recommending here still could work. But the point I'm making is let's not confuse brainstorming, coming up with lots of ideas with collaboration, which is, is, does not necessarily include brainstorming and it's just sharing and communicating. And then consensus, which frankly, we don't like. You can brainstorm with your team based on goals you've come up with. You can brainstorm what the goal can be together if you want. You can brainstorm ideas to get there together, or you can be more directive and say, here, there's three things that we're going to do, whether you like it or not. You probably say it differently than that, but you have the ability with your role power. Hopefully you'll socialize the idea first, but, but, and look, we do rarely recommend consensus. It's, it's highly misunderstood. It's terribly difficult to achieve. It's overrated and it's almost always applied incorrectly in our experience, particularly when it comes to annual goals. And if you get in a situation where you think consensus and collaboration are lovely ideas and you have two people on your team who are literally not willing to agree to the new goal, you're essentially saying, yeah, we're going to turn the asylum over to the inmates. We're going to, you know, as a direct, I don't want to go there. So therefore we're not. I mean, then suddenly everybody starts growing at the lowest growth rate that the weakest direct will tolerate, which is, which is backwards thinking. Yeah. Right. So I I think we probably beat up the whole idea of, of what not to do. Although this was, it was designed to also get into what we're going to do as well. Right. Yeah. So what are some affirmative steps we, we can do? I guess the first one is you've spoken about, right? Assume you're already at the new goal. That's the technique. Yeah, exactly. If you assume it, if you just say, well, we're here, this is one of the most powerful techniques I have ever learned. It is so simple. And yet, wow, does it make a difference? It's the kind of thing that, frankly, ought to be taught in schools, even business schools. Large organizations nowadays are starting to address creativity and innovation, all those kind of things more directly. But it seems like a lot of the guidance that is being recommended is about structure or rewards or really organizational processes. The innovation stuff we read tends not to be terribly specific. Oh, God. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Everything we read tends to be not specific, Um, (laughs) but it doesn't really help the individual manager, right? But look, it can be some simple things that can make a huge difference. And this is one of those manager tools that are available to everybody, and yet nobody seems to use it. It's simple. Rather than starting with last year's numbers and goals, hopefully we beat that horse to death, and I apologize we went on so long, folks. What we're saying here, rather than spending time last year, rather than creating a comfort level with the present, we start with the future. We say, okay, let's put ourselves into the future a year from now, celebrating our successes. We say to ourselves, we've already arrived. Here's the number. We achieved the goals we set a year ago which actually is now, but uh, it's in the past in this visualization we're doing, right? So think about it. What's a better way to define imagining than picturing the future? And what better way to picture the future as opposed to standing in the present and guessing about it or thinking about where we might end up? What's a better way to picture it than by visualizing ourselves there and then describing where we are, what it's like, and, and then, of course, last step, how we got there. Look, if you want a 10% increase in performance from your folks, let's just say that for a second, 
And you know, it just occurs to me every time I think about numbers, right? I, the 657 pops into my head. And folks, remember Mike's story. And I promise you this, Mike and I guarantee you that there is someone not unlike you right now who is untethered enough from all the rules and processes and procedures that you would quickly say would keep you from getting a 10% improvement that they could easily beat. Not because they're a way better manager than you at all. Don't, we're not, we're not scolding you here. That there are people who, because they can't see those things, because they aren't tied to those things, because their creativity has not been limited by the day to day processes, the ruts that they're in. And by the way, that goes for Mike and I as well. They could easily beat a 10% improvement. So if you balked at 10%, I promise you there's somebody who would say, I'm not tethered to the old ways. I could do it. The fact is the worst enemy to more audacious goals and therefore more rewards for everybody, our own ties to our present set of behaviors and principles and rules that are written and rules that are unwritten, policies designed to improve performance, all those things tie us down. Because some of the policies designed to improve performance also limit unique unique breakout ideas that people consider creative. Look, what effective goal-setting managers and executives do is they ask, what does the business need from me or from us? They do not ask, what do we think we can do, which is a present to the future thinking as opposed to, I'm already there, let's look back on how it happened. The what do we think we can do question is essentially extending the existing behavior set into the future with something extra added on top. This may be hard to get. I, I wrote it several times and couldn't quite get it right. If you think the what do we think we can do question, and therefore it's where we are now is okay and we're going to extend that a little bit, it makes smaller the improvement and larger the existing set of behaviors. If I'm already at 100% and somebody says I have to get to 105 next year, then all I'm really thinking about is the 5% difference. And it makes the 100% that I already did more powerful, more important, 20 times more important than the 5% improvement, okay? It says, it basically says, put this little extra bit on top of what we're already doing, right? It says, we're going to do almost everything the way we did it before, But we might also do some new things or some more things, but only as a fraction of the whole. And that, according to futurists and creativity people, is totally limiting as a mindset. It's even crippling to our next inevitable step, which is, okay, what are we going to do to get to our goals? It literally says, you don't have to be different next year. All you have to do is do a little bit more. But the fact is, effective managers and executives who are setting goals ask, what does the business need from me or us? They approach it from 200% down, looking down to the 100% that you're already at this year, right? Because whatever you achieve this year, you're at 100% of. They look at it from the other side. They step out of the present, think about the future and say, what's needed? They start with the outcome rather than with the installed base. They think of results, which in the case of goals is actually the achievement of them. In their mind, the goal, whatever it is, can be achieved because they're picturing themselves already having done it. And suddenly, when you if you ask for a 20% improvement for your folks and you look back from the 20%, 120% number, you spend a lot more time looking at the 20% and thinking creatively about building a road to get from where you were a year ago to now the 20% improvement. You don't spend a great deal of time cementing in your head all those things that caused you to get to 100%, which of course makes doing them differently next year harder to picture. Now, if you're asking, you know, okay, what about how they're going to do it? Folks, it's, it's, it's a great question, but it's still too soon to ask it. 
Okay. The moment you say we're at hundred percent, let's talk about everything we did this year and maybe we can get a 10% improvement. Everything becomes about how it becomes about extending what you're already doing. It becomes about just getting more done and so on. But thinking about the future first, picturing the, the next year as having already happened is at the heart of why assumptive goal setting works so well. Rather than concerning ourselves with the, the how, again, it's usually linear, it's usually extensive of existing processes and procedures, and it's tied to old ways, effective goal setters only think first of the final result. They trust that the how can be figured out later. Right. I mean, Mike, did you know how when you went from 657, when you set a goal of going to zero? No, I had no flipping clue. No flipping clue. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And folks, you might think those of you who are high C's, even though Mike's Mike's a high C, you might think, oh, my gosh, I could never do that. But literally, it is it is moving away from what you're comfortable with. It's the literally having no flipping idea that frees you up. And you might say, well, gosh, what if I. You know, what if I don't get there? Well, Mike didn't. He only got to seven and it didn't matter because it was such a game changing thing that everybody benefited for years later. So basically effective leaders, and you notice I switched from manager to leader, effective leaders trust that they can figure out how to do it later. And they separate the goal. Here's a key. They separate the goal from the how, and they free themselves and their teams up to be imaginative, creative, and willing to consider new ideas around the how in order to unlock that new potential. Okay. So, okay. What does this mean action-wise? If you think you and your team are capable of 20% more productivity, state that as your key goal, despite misgivings from others. Plant your flag in the ground at 20% first, and then, and only then, ask yourself, how am I going to get there? And so what, what do you do? It means you say out loud to your team in a planning discussion, don't worry about how we're going to get here. Start with just the picturing of it. For some of you, this is going to be hard, and that's okay. But if you need to, pretend that you're crazy. By the way, that's uh, pretending that you're crazy is actually a, a futurist idea as well. And just assume it's so for a moment. And you might go on, and and again, many of you are going to think this is a little bit weird, but this is how the professionals who are good at this do it. Picture yourself as you get one of your biggest raises. Picture yourself when you get a big bonus. See the check in your hands. Think about how your spouse is going to feel when he or she sees it. Think about the new office you might have. Think about what it'll be like if you get promoted based on the year that you've had. Think about your teammates celebrating the win. Picture them celebrating the win. Picture yourself talking to one another. I never believe we do here, get here, but we're here. Wow, it's a great feeling. Think about the new processes that are in place that are more robust, that you helped create, that are really better than the old ones. Think about the budget for the fact that there'll be more changes and improvements that'll be available to you. Think about the look on other people's faces when they realize you guys were the ones that made it happen. Picture all those things. And look, I know it sounds corny. But I that's am, I'm getting excited. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know right? what we're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you can do it. This is this is a simple creativity tool. Uh, and because managers have to be creative, it's a manager tool. This is visualization. It's designed to get your team used to the idea that they have already achieved the goal. They don't have to worry about how because they're there. It's happened. The how is already in the past. They don't have to stretch from some middling performance this year, which is essentially a year ago, right? And now, only now, after we've got a firm picture in our mind of the future we want to be in, now we worry about the how. Okay, so finally we get there. So, again, looking backwards, 
we're not just simply talk about the how. We're going to say what had to happen to get here, right? It's a focus on, hey, we're here, right? We've assumed. That's why I guess we call it assumptive goal planning. Yeah. We assumed yeah. we're here and we asked, hey, what did we have to do to get here? Right. And look, believe it or not, folks, this is the easy part. I know you're thinking, no, it's just, it's not. It can't possibly be the easy part, but it is. And what we mean by easy is compared to the stress of starting from now and trying to agree to new and harder and bigger things in the undiscovered country, that's the future, right? Looking back at what we've already done, remember now we're in the future, we've already agreed to the goal, we're celebrating our successes. Looking back at what we've already done is much easier. For some reason, the way the brain works, looking back at the past, even though we're assuming the future, frees up ways of thinking that aren't available to us when we have to be worried about, well, but how much are we going to really be able to control our future or not? Some of you are probably thinking we're lightheaded for saying this, but we've done this and folks, it works repeatedly. I've done it. It works. You just assume you're there and you say, okay, let me turn around now. Let's look at the past year. What would I have to have done? Oh, that's easy. I would have done this, 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 and this. And you just put those things in place. Once you've got your team to feel that they're there, you simply ask what had to happen to get here? What did we do this past year to end up here? What things did we do differently in order to get to 20%? Okay. Now, look, there's no, it can't be done or it's impossible because it already has been done. It is possible. It is already done. Right? We're already there. <laughs> yeah, right. It's simply a question of standing in the future. Now, now, look, folks, try this a couple of times before you write me a nasty note. And say, okay, if I, if I got 20%, if I look back, what would, it, what would it be? And by the way, if you struggle a little bit with it, don't, don't I mean, you can write me a note and tell me I'm an idiot and, and um, I'll say, okay, thanks. Thanks for the input. But frankly, you got to do it with your team a couple of times and see whether or not it free, if, if, if you're not comfortable being creative, somebody in your team probably is. It's simply a question of standing in the future, looking back to a past that's already happened, one that your team achieved and saying, what must we have done this past year? Now, we're not having to creatively imagine something never been done before. We're just talking about the past year's successes. It'll sound like, well, to get to 20% more widgets, we had to, and by the way, note the past tens here, we had to buy another stamping machine. Or, hey, we, we stopped doing all that admin, and thank God we did because that freed up Rick to help us with new clients, which were a big part of the 20%. Or, we stuck pretty close to our targeted three hours per week on new client acquisition right? That's what happens. You talk differently about the things you will do in the future if you're picturing them already had to have happened in order to get you to the goal that you were setting. Yeah. Now, is this perfect? No, you know, it's not perfect. It'll feel weird to some of you. And for some of you, it'll feel totally liberating. And you'll have a story just like Mike's about going from 657 to zero. Well, look, I have a similar story. When I was a salesperson at Procter & Gamble, I didn't know better. I, 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 I literally, I was an army officer and suddenly I'm selling toothpaste. I didn't know what I could or couldn't do. And I just set some goals and said, I'm going to do it. I remember my boss said I had to go talk to some pharmacists. And I said, okay. And he says, now we're, we're six weeks into an eight week process, but, but, um, the goal for your territory would have been 200. I said, well, I'll get 200 in the next two weeks. And he said, oh, you're crazy. You can't, you can't do it. I said, oh, okay. You didn't know yeah, better. Maybe not, but <laughs> I didn't result, know better. And I did it. Yeah. yeah. And he said, you know, gosh, that's amazing. And it was the first month I was on the job and he was, he just couldn't believe it. I said, I, 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 didn't, I didn't think it was any big deal. I just had to do it. And it was hard work, but I don't know. I just did it. 
I, I suspect if he'd asked me a year later, I'd have had all kinds of reasons why I couldn't do it. Right. Right. Yeah. So most who engage, most people who engage in this kind of process say they wouldn't have thought of the stuff they did without the idea beginning with, if we really were here, what would have had to happen? This is a powerful way to free up different thinking processes. It essentially eases the stress of not knowing how to invent the future because we're not inventing the future. It allows us to use what we're good at, really, which is thinking about the past that's already happened. That's how you do it. So wrapping up, don't start with where you are. Assume you're already there, right, in the future, and then look back at your past, this futuristic past, if you will, and say what had to happen to get here. Um, look, for, for a lot of us, our problem with goals are that they take us into, as I mentioned earlier, the undiscovered country, right? By the way, folks, that's Shakespeare for the future. That, the future, is inherently risky. It's unclear. It's dangerous. We know where we are, but we have no idea how to move forward as hard as we work to get where we are now. But if we picture ourselves at 10 or 20 or 50% growth, thanks to the way our brains work, and then we look back as if we already achieved it, the path to where we already are looks much clearer and it's easier to build. And it essentially allows us to be wildly creative as opposed to saying, no, that'll never happen and self-censoring all the reasons that we know won't work. Thinking about the past is easier for most of us than the risky proposition of imagining a future. Brainstorming about what would have to happen is easier than jumping off a cliff into the future, into the unknown. And look, what this does is allows you to stretch a little bit. And that's what professional leaders and managers and executives do. They stretch and grow everybody around them. Yeah. And that makes the organization better, healthier, and more likely to keep you safe and secure for a long, long time. Yeah. And your folks will love it. People want to be part of something big. And, you know, exactly. a 5% improvement doesn't excite people. Yeah. Yeah. Incremental gains are, are for the small-minded, frankly. There you go. All right, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, partner. All right. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you again next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.